We are twin brothers who grew up Atari, or as we call it, in the vertical blank. Technically, the vertical blank is the space between the last line of the current frame and the first line of the next, where off-screen calculations create a cathode ray tube display. It exists, literally, between the lines, invisible, yet all-seeing, in a void where magic occurs that is never seen, only experienced. It is the figurative location of our existential longing for the past and attempts to bridge it to the present and the future. The vertical blank is an omniscient force containing the nuances that make our nostalgia a reality. It's the transcendental location that holds our best memories, biggest joys, greatest fears, and our most terrible losses. You've been warned. You can stop this tape now and turn around. For once you've entered, there may be no escape. All the scan lines have been written. It's time to enter the vertical blank. Into the vertical blank. from Atari, the number one video computer system with more games than any other. Everyone's gone Atari, the number one video game. Hello, Vertical Blankers. Welcome to Season 1, Episode 4 of Into the Vertical Blank, Generation Atari. This episode title, Escape to the Asteroid Zone, Part 1. This is the first of a two-part podcast on the arcade game Asteroids, its home versions, and its overall legacy in the pantheon of video games. Get ready to blast off into the vertical blank. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. Hey, Jeff. Hello. Jeff, we got finally got together to talk about what I believe is the most important game for uh, the beginning of Atari for us, and that would be, like you said, Asteroids. Uh, I think to many people this would seem like maybe a kind of petty thing. Asteroids has not had a long legacy. Or very, It feels like Asteroids does not have the important legacy that it should in the pantheon of video games. Asteroids does not have a Nintendo-style character that can be grafted onto it and pulled out and used in multiple things. I get it. I get it. I know what you're saying. I believe... The whole thing is the Nintendo-style character. The music, the gameplay. But I get what you're saying. But to me, Asteroids is, and this is will go. It will never change for me. Asteroids is video games. Yeah, Asteroids is video games. I agree with you. There was a time when it was the most important thing that we could do was to play a game of Asteroids. Asteroids. Or to find a game of Asteroids. To find a game of Asteroids and play. And imagine this. Asteroids itself. Think about Asteroids. So let's... Asteroids is uh, for the uninitiated. Asteroids came out in 1979. It was designed by Ed Logg for, for Atari. But... It was actually an idea from a guy named Lyle Rains. So this this game, Asteroids, was Atari's biggest coin-op hit. hit ever. Now, that was before they merged with Midway, right? Was right, but, but, but as a game, I mean, it sold 
90,000 copies of them. Uh, sure. No, it's right there. Oh, I'm sorry. Jeff, please, I have notes about it. It was how many did, how many did it sell, Steve? It sold 90,000 I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> it sold 70,000 units, made about 150 million dollars for Atari. Which is really interesting that it was their biggest coin op hit. And it came in between Space Invaders and Pac-Man and for a time it was the biggest game in the world. Uh, did again, Space Invaders sort of was the the first space game, even though it really wasn't. Actually, Atari's made a game called Starship One that came before this. Yes, it was probably and and Lunar Lander that was probably the first space game. Well, and of course, what was Atari's well, Lunar, first? Actually, Lunar Lander came after Space Invaders. But. So, what was Atari's first game before Pong? Oh, oh, right, Space Wars. Space Wars. Yeah. Boys, boys, boys. Let's get the simple things correct first. The game was Computer Space, not by Atari, but by Nutting and Associates. And then, and then Space Race, they also had after that, which is also a space game. But I mean, a game like that would make you think of Star Wars. So it put everything together that would equal video games for an entire generation. Asteroids. Now, yes, and... It, while Space Invaders, I remember seeing in a few places in the arcades, specifically not the straw hat that had asteroids, but the Shakies had Space Invaders. And I distinctly remember the green screen, the, the sound. sounds that, were, that, I, that you can only really... Get if you play it on Mame or no one's really replicated it yet on a on a an eight bit system. Maybe ones now that have been happening, right? Oh, I I think to get oh. the full effect of Space Invaders, you have to play the coin op, right? Um, and Space Invaders created an entire genre of its own set of sliding of sliding across the screen and firing right. Games. But it but let's 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 be honest. Space Invaders itself is really a version of Breakout. Space Invaders itself is a version of Breakout. And I think the guy who wrote Space Invaders actually admitted that basically it's Breakout. Right. Um, actually more like Super Breakout, the one that, the Super Breakout version where the walls come down. Well, the walls come down. Yeah. So that's that's a lot like Space Invaders. But so, Astro, so for a time, Space Invaders was a huge hit. And I remember walking through the arcades and seeing Space Invaders. And that's where you're like, wow, you know, video, video games have really taken this turn from these timed things. Like, Tari made this game called Starship One. And it was a, you know, you would, you would shoot spaceships um, it's a, it's a first, first person perspective you'd shoot spaceships flying by one of them looked a bit too much like the Starship Enterprise right but but it was timed it was like 90 seconds they, they were, they were the, those types of games where you would if you did well enough you might be able to extend your play a little bit and the idea was to keep playing not to get a high score that was like Superbug also which was the, which was wireframe not what well, which was black and white wireframe graphics but not vector where you just kept on driving up and I made, I made a flash version of this it's not completely done where I remember that. Yeah, um, that cool. and, uh, to test it out, and you uh, also test out uh, tile based right? and scrolling and things like that, and it works. I still have it. I may put that. I don't think I'll put that up. But anyway, look, I, I, to further digression, what Asteroids did was allow that full 360 control in the 2D space. Right, because because when you're playing Space Invaders, while it's a cool game, oh well, well Space Invaders did did something before Asteroids was. 
if if you were good enough, you could play Space Invaders forever. Now forever. it got so amazingly hard that was impossible. But to me, I'm not saying that was the first game that did. The first time I realized that that game, right. and that was the that was sort of a little turning point in video games. I think Breakout was the same, although not the Atari 2600 version that ended after level two. But I think you could have kept playing forever. It just got so hard that it was impossible. But with Asteroids, it actually didn't get so hard it was impossible to play forever. You could, if you were good enough, you could play Asteroids on one quarter for hours and hours and hours. I think I think that was a big deal, right? You, it was, the game wasn't over so quickly that and didn't wasn't seemingly so difficult that it would be impossible for you to play past one or two levels of like, like right. if you were good enough you could go on ship hunts and live for a long time now apparently those ship hunts are not allowed in high score contests now? I, I guess. I don't know anything about high score contests but I, that is one thing I have read that but, they call it something else This is usually called saucer hunting. While the largest scores and the most extra ships can be gained this way the game glitches and ends when you achieve 256 extra ships. Karma, anyone? Karma? Karma, that's the name of my yoga teacher. I need Karma right now to help ease the stress of working with these two-man children. I always thought that was a perfect strategy for keeping your quarter. Oh, yeah, I, I don't quite understand, but maybe that's 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 how it works. But that's why maybe I would never enter a high score contest like that because I I don't understand the rules nor does it really matter. to Now me. ship hunts are a uh, when you get to the home versions, you can still use them, which to me means it's part of the fun, not part of the scoring competition. Oh, it's totally fun. But let's we're we're, get, we're getting ahead of ourselves. So asteroids came out in 1979. It was near the end of 1979. So I, I would I would in my imagination we played this in 1979. We probably discovered Asteroids in 1980. And that was after Greg Anderson to me on the playground said hey my brother turned over the machine at Straw Hat. Turn, I, now what machine? The Asteroids machine? Asteroids machine and I didn't know what he was talking about. Uh, it's in my story too. Right, but you imagine. I don't know what that would mean, but with them we went somehow. We got there. I think it was an AYSO oh, like party to, to Straw Hat Pizza, and I just sat there and, and watched people and played Asteroids the entire time, ignoring the re- ignoring the the penny movies and the horse rides because they had about four or five arcade games. They may have had Space Invaders. But I ignored it. I just wanted to look yeah, at Asteroids. Yeah, I say that, like, so, yeah, before Asteroids, arcade games were, I mean, they were interesting. Space Invaders kind of made it go, yeah, wait, that's something's really cool here. But before Asteroids, it was like a, it was a, it was a diversion. I wanted an Atari 2600, even though I didn't really know why, and they playing it at, at Target and at a friend's house. Like, I wanted, like, I thought it was really cool. But until Asteroids, I don't think, I think the, the word would be obsession. I don't think the obsession started until Asteroids. Was there. Well, I think you became obsessed with Breakout, and you were incredible at it, and I was not very good at it. So I only became obsessed once we could play two-player games against each other in combat. Because oh, to yeah. me, that, that social element was so important to be able to play with someone else. But then Asteroids came along, and then I could shut everything out about well, Asteroids. But, but we played Asteroids together. I mean, we played two-player games. So, so there's a social element to us playing at an Asteroids oh, machine. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Whereas Breakout was a very solitary 
experience. Anyway, we'll get to Breakout you in another episode. Yeah, well, I think episode. an episode just about Breakout. But I mean, the point is, Asteroids really sort of broke, it broke the barrier. It did. For me. I was like, all of a sudden, I was like, oh my, I'm 10 years old, and now I've discovered something that I, I didn't really understand before, and it's definitely, it definitely has something to do with the vertical blank. You know, like a time, like, like if there's definitely something there, whatever that means. The funny thing about um, Asteroids is that literally when they coded it, there is no vertical blank. Well, because because it, it is. A, I, I asked this question. It's it's on a XY uh, Atari's patented you know vector XY monitor. Yes. The the way that those work is it, it plots all the points one time and then the next frame it plots the point, points again and then draws the lines between them. So you're right. I mean, I think technically there's no there's no vertical blank period, but there is still a time between the frames. But you're right. It's it's not yeah, exactly. I, I, maybe I'm blank. maybe I'm wrong there. I mean, there's no ele- waiting for electron gun to get back to the top no, and then right. waiting for it to go what, through the 34 right. lines of vertical no, blank. Exactly. Right. What the electron gun would, ju- I believe, and I, lo- I I did some research on this specifically for this episode, I believe the electron gun, you program to jump around the screen and draw dots. So yes, there is no vertical blank period as 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 we have defined it, which is kind of funny that it's the first game that really like, but doesn't really have that. And it sits firmly in my vertical blank without a vertical blank. Right, because, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so was Asteroids a worldwide well, hit? apparently, according to Stephen Kent's The First Quarter, they sold 30,000 units overseas. So that would... You know, now, now at this point, I, I think his book would need to be verified after so many years to make sure that that's actually. And I true. imagine the seventy thousand units were in the U.S. because I found an asteroid machine or two or three or four everywhere. While this number is actually a little more difficult to pin down than you would imagine, I give the boys a little credit here. Sources indicate that roughly seventy thousand were sold across America, and thirty thousand units were sold abroad. One point for Nerd Lingers, still one million points for me. Right. Every liquor store, every grocery store, some sometimes they would swap it out. Every arcade had a bank of them. This was the first I don't people don't imagine they weren't there, but a lot of people listen to this word. But the machines that had a bank of games. Right. Started with asteroids because I don't remember sp- there being a bank of space. No, there were not any because we went because it was too early for the arcades to really get there. Some right. may have, but not. They here. had like one Space Invaders machine. It was like, look at this curious oddity that just came from Japan. Right, you had a bank of asteroids machines with the two with the red lights flashing for the players. Right, and then the next game to have a bank of machines was Pac Man. Yeah, and the next game to have a bank of oh. machines was Donkey Kong. Yeah, yeah. For us, at the arcade we went well, to. Well, and so, and, and so I'm saying, like, like, but for somehow, I, Asteroids gets lost between Space Invaders and Pac-Man when people talk about the greatest games. And it certainly, and I think there's a reason for that. After the initial game of Asteroids, there's not that, people never took it further than it could go. Not never. I'll say never. It was in the in that time, in that golden age, Asteroids was never ex- expanded upon in a way that showed its rightful place in right. history. And I'll agree because I played the two next versions that Atari made, and they were, I played them to death, which were Asteroids Deluxe and Space Duel. And those pushed Asteroids to the next step on the ladder. Right, I mean, Asteroids Deluxe was not had some extra guys that came at you. It was fun, but the screen was pushed too far down into the machine. 
Right. Space Duel I played a lot more of, and I love the fact that you could tether. So, Jeff, before we really get into our discussion about asteroids, let's describe what exactly asteroids is. What do you do in asteroids from your perspective? Because I played it so often, and I've written about 30 asteroids games on various systems and for tests and things like that. To me, asteroids is the the screen you, the screen fills up with rocks, right? And these are you're in space. The screen fills up with asteroids, pieces of a planet that have been destroyed in some way, right? And your your ship gets put on the screen in a relatively safe place in the middle. Only when they're only when it's safe, which there is right. an algorithm for when it's safe. I figured out an algorithm. I made it so it could be safe too. For the games I made, like it was hard actually. Right. You get on the screen and then you rotate and you start shooting the asteroids. Now you're in a you're, you're in, in a, one screen void. You know where what? if you fly up the screen, you you, you, you quote unquote. You, well, you fly up the screen. You you appear at the bottom. You fly to the right. You appear to the left. Left to the right. So you can never get out of this one screen void. There's no escape from this zone. Right. The only thing is survival, right? Your ship can turn left and right, and if you thrust, it sort of floats with a very realistic for 2D physics. Right. Um, and, if, and it thrusts much slower than other games made the thrusting for asteroids, even mine. Right. And 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 your, your job is to shoot the big asteroids, then what happens? A big asteroid... Hit will will break into two medium asteroids, and then what happens? And a medium asteroid hit will break into two smaller asteroids, and then a small asteroid disappears, and there are no more after, after you've that. shot it. Right? Each one blows up with a satisfying little particle effects, and if you hit an asteroid, a big one, it creates a tiny little set of particle effects, and then and then breaks into two, and the asteroids seem to move in the direction that your shot was firing. Right, so that's why, like, the phys- like Ed Log, when he programmed this, programmed just enough physics to make it feel real, as real as a game could be at the time. There were no other games that I that I remember that treated physics with such respect right. that, that asteroids did. Okay, boys. That's one million and one for me and still one for you. You are forgetting Lunar Lander, a game Atari also released in 1979. It also had very well-defined physics. Maybe far too well-defined as it sold only about 4,500 units. And this is one of the other reasons why it felt like such a different kind of game. Like, the character of Asteroids is the ship and the physics and the sounds is not an actual character, which is one of the reasons why maybe it doesn't carry on later. Right, so, yeah. So what happens happens when when you... Is there anything else besides Asteroids? Yes, so... In the middle of the first couple screens, a medium-sized, about the size of a medium-sized asteroid saucer will come out firing at you. And this saucer is pretty lethal and deadly. This is the dumb saucer, though, right? But the saucer kind of, just, its pattern is to move up and down diagonally on the screen, and it can easily be hit by an asteroid. Its shots destroy asteroids. And I'm pretty sure you get the points if it's shots destroyed. I think the asteroid. you do too. I think we need to look, but I think you do. I think you get you get 200 points if it crashes into an And if asteroid. it crashes too, but it can shoot you. And its shots are pretty accurate, but not that accurate. When you get past the first couple levels, 
or maybe even just on the first screen once you once you've seen if a you, couple of the if you medium let, size if, if you let like the rock one rock float around for a while while you're on the screen well that's so that becomes a ship that becomes a, a saucer hunt if you let one and, right and and sometimes a small saucer will come out and that small saucer is deadly and deadly accurate with its shots but you but if you don't move you're probably dead when that saucer comes so out, right? what most people a lot of people would do and i would watch them they're really good at it i never became really good at this but they would sort of thrust up the screen waiting for that small ship to come out the small saucer and then they would fire and you could get about six shots on the screen and asteroids at one time and they would fire and they would be They'd blow up that saucer, and they would do it over and over again. I think at 500 points of pop? No, 1,000. Oh, 1,000. 1,000 thousand points of pop, and the medium ones were about 300, so they weren't... 200 or 250. We can look at it. They weren't... It was about 200 and 1,000. You had to shoot a lot more than the extra guy. It might have been 250. And they, they could do this forever off just after the first screen, as long as they kept that asteroid safe. The right. single floating, the single asteroid, floating asteroid. Now, as soon as that asteroid was destroyed, you would get the final asteroid is destroyed. You get a another screen full of asteroids that you then have to destroy. Right. And at that point, if you were like zipping up the screen on your ship hunt, and all of a sudden you shot through the asteroid, you're pretty much dead yeah, as you, soon as the you other. You have to flip around and and try to turn on the brakes, which only way thrust to turn the brakes, which is the thrust in the opposite direction. And there was one other aspect to asteroids that I tried not to use. Uh-huh. Which was hyperspace? It's supposed to be a safety measure. Hyperspace was a safety measure. You press the hyperspace button and you disappear and you reappear randomly in a place on the screen. Sometimes you would just randomly blow up without anything hitting you because you died in hyperspace. Right. And a lot of times, if, the, if there were many asteroids on the screen, you would reappear right next to asteroids and you would get hit by. What you just described is the makings of like the first obsessive video game. Obsessively clearing the rocks from the screen or obsessively clearing spaceships, um, saucers that came at you. Right. So asteroids, like like you described, we looked for it everywhere. Yeah. After we played it for the first time, which is probably, you say at the Straw Hat, probably Straw Hat, and then we then we probably found it at the, the Castle Park and the... And I know the, there was the one Aladdin's at, Castle at the mall and... Up in that triumvirate of places that was, um, that was the Safeway... The Guild Drug. Oh, well, and definitely the, one the, and the, the Manhattan Liquor. Between those three, they would swap out. Now, the Guild Drug always got cool different machines like Wizard of War, but I'm pretty sure that the Safeway, the Safeway had, had asteroids. asteroids and then it had Galaxy, and at some point it had Star Castle. Yeah. And there was definitely a Tempest machine and an Astros machine swapping in and out at the liquor store. There's a Defender machine there. And Defender, and then eventually it got Track and Field, which at some point became the obsession to throw the, the javelin get to that some point because there's a really good version of that on the on the 8 bits oh cool so I don't know why we went, went off into that direction but that's where Asteroids <laughs> was that's where Asteroids was so it was up at the store and of course all the stores had video games this is before the point up crash every storefront had a video game our, our hometown didn't allow you know outlawed arcades so but yes. you could have a couple video games in the front of your store so but the town did. over where fireworks where we live now where fireworks at one point were um, also 
legal. Video games were legal. And they had a Castle Park arcade that had... This is where we found the banks and banks and rows of of machines. A lot was written about asteroids in the day, but my favorite quote about asteroids is from a book called A Thousand and One Games to Play Before You Die, edited by Tony Mott. It came out a few years ago. He says, Asteroids is much smarter than it looks. Veteran Atari developer Ed Logg was something of a perfectionist, paying attention to everything from the heft of the game's physics to the particularly memorable leaderboard font and his craftsmanship shows in every facet of the game itself. These rocks may be made with nothing but light, but even now, they remain entirely capable of bowling you over. That is 100% true. Now, I know why you did not find Asteroids Deluxe. I can tell you why. Why? There was one Asteroids Deluxe machine ever at Castle Park, nowhere else around here. I found it, and I played it, and I liked it, but it was exceptionally difficult to play. Yeah, I think the point of Asteroids Deluxe was to was to because people were playing Asteroids for so long on one quarter. Atari made a new Asteroids that was going to be harder than the other one. That I guess the the, the idea would be that arcade operators would replace Asteroids with Asteroids Deluxe, yes. and Asteroids Deluxe would eat a lot of quarters. But I just was not very popular. And I don't know how many machines it sold, but it, it, to me it was really difficult to play, not just because Asteroids... Not, okay, not just because of the game, but Asteroids actually was also the perfect arcade cabinet. The original. Yeah. The giant screen to me, right in front of your face, the perfect controls for controlling. Also, the, the monitor. Four buttons. The, the, um, the, the, the streaks that the light left on yes. the monitor were just... Well, the, glo- the glow. The glow was just amazing. Whereas Asteroids Deluxe was pushed into the machine, the screen. Smaller, right? And and it was smaller and it was hard to see and the controls may have been the same, but it was just more difficult to play. The thing like your ship had these little wings on it and it, I guess I wanted it to look cool, but it made it harder to play because it meant that your ship was bigger to be your basically. You're right, your, your ship had little wings on. And yes. The collision detection area was bigger. The other thing I remember Astro's Lux, it had a shield, which was cool, but I still worried about using it after the hyperspace debacle. But at the end of each level, this sort of orange way this everything was still white, but this little wedge would come out that you would shoot and would break into orange wedges and they would attack you. And it was a, a precursor to, to I think, a ship in Space Duel. But it, it was almost certain death. It was actually, um, it was very much a precursor to Space Duel because at the, Space Duel is a different game, but it, there's, there's bonus levels in quotes at the end of every level in Space Duel that really were like an appointment with death once right. you finished in a level. Uh, and so was, so was, in Asteroids Deluxe, and I think that after Asteroids, even though Asteroids was difficult, but people could find ways to do to play it, Atari started making games that could gain a lot more quarters and tokens for arcade operators. Right. And and that includes pole position, which you had to be excellent at, and that wasn't their game, but they did distribute it here. Right. Asteroids Deluxe. Tempest. Tempest. They keep are so difficult, and there was no hiding in a ship hunt. Things no, like that. No. So, so after Astro, so Astro Deluxe was not uh, popular. In fact, popular. you hardly find any versions of it anywhere except for the, um, except for on the, uh, except for in Maine. And then tell me about Space Duel because that came out a couple years later. Space Duel, um, our arcade had a had a bank of two or three of them. And since I loved Asteroids so much, but Asteroids Deluxe machines had kind of taken over where Asteroids had been, and there's maybe one Asteroids machine, and part of the XY monitor was broken, so part of it wasn't working and things like that. I moved over to Space Duel, and you with on, I think it was on one quarter, or it was two, but it didn't matter. 
you could tether two ships together and play yourself, or you could play with two right. players. It had that weird. Te- so when you spun it, I didn't, like like turning left or right make get you wildly out of control. And I didn't understand. How so that there was. were three different sets of, of of circular physics going on there, uh-huh. made it difficult to play. But if you j- and and also if one of your guys got hit, he wasn't dead yet. You had to get hit twice, and so it would stop moving right and stop firing very well. And so it made the game very, very, very difficult. But I loved all the shapes you could Yeah, yeah, the the, the different levels with different shapes was awesome. So they had the right idea of taking asteroids to the next level, adding more stuff, the dual ships, two players Uh, at once could play. Like, this could have been the real successor to Asteroids, except that that tethering, I think, was so so difficult for people to understand, especially at a time when, like, games like Pac-Man and Donkey Kong were all about, like, memorization of the patterns and patterns and stuff. And all of a sudden, there's no pattern to this. It's it's a really fun game, but the opposite of where, like, popular video games were going at the time. Yeah, it shows that they were on the right track, keep on keeping using that version of Atari, kept on using that IP or those ideas and building on top of them, but never got the chance to really build anything that was lasting with those. Right. And and of course, Asteroids was lasting. But as you say, when you talk, people talk about you know, Pac-Man fever, there's no Asteroids fever. There should have been. There should have been. There was a Donkey wait, wait, Kong. don't say there's no Asteroids. There was an Asteroids song. I think those guys had made an Asteroids song. Don't okay. say that. I'm sorry. There may have... Oh, there might have been an Asteroids song, too. We have to find it. If there's an Asteroids song... Yeah. Track number 5 on Buckner and Garcia's Pac-Man Fever is called Hyperspace. I wonder what that song was about, 8-Bit Jeff? Um, um, what do you think? There was no Asteroids Saturday Morning Cartoon. No, there was not. There was not an Asteroids Saturday Morning Cartoon. There was an Asteroids Halloween costume. What were you? You you were an asteroid. That would be scary then, because you you were the bad guy. Yeah, that... Yeah, you're the bad. That's good, right? Yeah, yeah you didn't, you weren't, this is not this is no superhero um, era of Halloween. Uh, you dress it up like the asteroid because the asteroid was going to kick your ass. This is no. This is still a Savon costume where they plastered asteroids on the front in big letters, and your mask was well, a, your an mask an is an asteroid. Yeah, yeah. okay. It's yeah. it is actually it's amazing. That I I would I would own one if I could find it somewhere. But yeah, there, there were asteroids consumer products, but it wasn't like Pac-Man again. Like you said, there was no character to latch onto. So it made it hard, and that was one of Atari's big problems. Was they never really had a character? Well, they tried. Into. They tried. So Kangaroo came out, but that's not their game. Kangaroo was licensed by Atari from Sun Electronics with a 1982 release date. Well, Kangaroo came out, and then Kangaroo came out as a APX game for the Atari 800, and then was moved to an actual cartridge. And then was also came out on the 2600. By that time, they had appropriated that character as much as yeah, you could imagine. Yeah, but it's imagine. not really a good character. Like, like, you just, could say Dig Dug, because that's a Namco game. 
but but and as a character that looks cool. But that doesn't. Count. I'm just it's not dictating Atari. the characters that they had at their disposal, right? Say so Char- the later yeah. on Charlie Chuck from Food Fight. Well, Charlie Chuck would have been cool, and Food Fight is a whole other discussion. Oh, so yeah. Let's not get into that. We're talking about asteroids now. So the other game. So the so what we didn't talk about, I guess, was one of the precursor asteroids is Lunar Lander. Yes, um, and it gave you almost the same amount of control, but you could not spin. You could, you did have thrust up and down and sideways control. Right. So the whole point of Lunar Lander was to land your ship on the moon surface, on a little spot on the moon surface. It was a vector XY game, the first one that Atari made before Asteroids. But then after Space Duel, or about the same time, pretty close after it came Gravatar, which was sort of a combination of Asteroids and Lunar Lander. Lunar Lander, which was not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. I think it just came too late in the arcade game cycle to really be popular. Yes, so did Major Havoc and other ones they tried to do that with. The same idea. But, but to me, Gravatar is like a spiritual is a, a spiritual cousin to Asteroids because of its vector monitor, because its little ship are flying around, because there are other little UFOs to shoot, but it is more like Lunar Lander that you're trying to... Yeah, um, yeah I think if you did land, you could get fuel or something. Yeah. I'll have to look it up. The idea was I know to the, shoot the little bases that right. were I know that Oids did something just like it on the ST, and, and, and I don't think it used the exact same idea, but but for Lunar for Lunar Lander, for Gravatar, there weren't that many home versions of it either. No, there was one for the VCS, right? right. I have it, yeah. So, so that sort of ended Atari coin ops in the classic Atari days, the Atari Inc. Atari Inc.? Atari Corp.? Atari Inc. days. Atari Inc. Corp. Um, was, was Yeah, in the Atari Inc. days, that was the end of sort of the coin-op expressions of Asteroids. And it kind of fizzled out in a way that was kind of sad, but but the, but the game, Asteroids game itself, was so good and so memorable. But Asteroids did come out on other platforms, too, right? Atari Poetry Haiku Asteroids 2600 Looking for computers I see you under the glass Evil asteroids Your brown box taunts me 66 variations Well worth the money Asteroids float up Nothing like the arcade game Asteroids float down. A wave of nausea. Thigh stings from pain of a hole burnt in pocket. Yet, I still play. Home is not like the arcade. But I can reset. The beat transcends all. Hypnotic, flashing space rocks. I give in to it. And so yes. the VCS had a, a pretty decent version, Atari 2600, a pretty decent version of Asteroids. The 2600 version of Asteroids we got as the, one of the second games we purchased after we... So um, we yeah, we got a VCS in 81, and I think... Christmas the, of 81, Christmas so it really was 82. Yeah, yeah, so Christmas 81, and it didn't work, and so we took it back, and then after we took it back to Gemco and got it replaced, we went out right afterwards, and we got a few games. I can't remember, I, w- I want to say it was Asteroids, Tennis, and Laser Blast, but it might have been Asteroids... 
tennis and dragster. But, no, but we it also, was not dragster. Okay, but we had laser blast. We had tennis. We had dragster later. I um, was terrible at dragster. The two games we had were combat and breakout with the machine. Right. And then we went out and got asteroids, tennis, and laser blast. Asteroids, tennis, and laser blast. And the reason tennis and laser blast was we were so enamored with the look on the boxes and the look oh, of Activision, Activision games. games. And to me, tennis... When, you know, before that, you play tennis on your Apple IIe and you need their two weird paddle controllers and you're playing Pong, this was actually two characters on the screen hitting the ball. Tennis was amazing. Tennis was amazing for the time. People complain about it now or whatever, but they don't understand what you saw on the screen at that time. Actually, tennis is absolutely amazing. I'll say laser blast on them was weird. We'll get get into that in a different podcast. I got into a laser blast zone, though. Me too. So, but asteroids for the 2600. So we took that home and we hooked it up to the black and white TV in Dad's room. Yes. And we proceeded to play Asteroids and it was amazing. Now I remember the first time we saw the Asteroids cartridge though and it was the summer before we had gone to the laundromat with mom. Yes. Because because the uh, we had to wash sheets for, was, for some reason. No, well the, well the washing broke down because it always broke down but yeah. we went to laundromat and next door was a place called HW Computers and we're like hey let's let's see mom while the stuff is washing and see if mom will let us go to HW Computers and, and just looked at the glass just, cases we just stuff. wanted to see because it has said Atari on the window we're like oh Atari I, and so we're like maybe they have Atari 2600 stuff right so we walked in and it didn't have 26 well they did, they did, but they didn't have it right away. What they had on the wall was rows and rows of Atari 8-bit games, yes. which was mind-blowing. They had Star Raiders running. They had a couple other games running on the machines, and we were just blown right. away. But then but they're like, wow, wow, like, both we're thinking, like, oh, my God, like, I didn't realize there was a computer. But then you looked in this glass case. There was a Missile Command, Space Invaders, and asteroids and the asteroids is coming soon. And the guy and we said, When's the asteroids coming out? And the guy said it's coming out, you know, this Christmas or something. We're like, Oh my god, we have to get an Atari VCS. Asteroid like like they kinda clicked in. Before to me the Atari VCS was it was that thing we played combat on and you could play Pong and Pong light games and Outlaw. I mean not bad, it was fun. Like I wanted to have one. But it didn't I didn't like go that click seeing asteroids under the glass. I'm like they're making arcade games. They're always right. making their arcade games for the VCS. We have to get one. And I think, in retrospect, we missed part of the point because um, those games that you mentioned that weren't asteroids were the games that permeated the arcade at the time. Though. Right. I know. I have no idea. Right. I know. I didn't even realize. It didn't make. I didn't. I didn't connect that like Breakout was an arcade game, and I didn't connect that that Combat was two different a, a tank and I think it was Jet. It was called. Okay, man, children. Let me Google this one for you. Combat was a combination of tank and jet fighter. Jet fighter was an Atari arcade machine while tank was a key game coin-op, technically the same company, so yes Atari also. I need a break from you hemorrhoid or asteroid which Amahus it's. I'll be in my trailer, looking for work on the Jaguar game by game podcast. He does his research. Anyway, a bunch of Atari coin-ops, all the original Atari games are coin-ops. Right, I mean, almost all of them. All, maybe with some like, basic math exception, right? Like blackjack, but but most original games are all from coin ops. You know, Video Olympics being like the most amazing cartridge of every version of Pong ever on one. There cartridge. actually is a. I'm forgetting the designer of that right now. I think it's Joe DeCure actually actually worked amazing. People make fun of Video Olympics, right? But if you know what the 2600 can do, and you look what's going on in Video Olympics. You wonder how he made it. It's work. crazy because at some point, you yes, you may be moving 
one long player in a few places on the screen with some holes in it, right? For like the, and we're digressing, but I'll just say it, but to get that many I know. players on the screen moving. Because you only had two players, and all of a sudden you So he did a lot of work. Playing. and It should have been called, the Video Olympics should have been called something else, like Pong Unlimited it, or something. Pong Sports was the Sears version, and that was a much better That's name. That's a better name. But anyway, we di- we digress. Most of the games, I didn't did not connect. I was so too young, didn't connect that they were actually coin ops, Atari's coin ops, right? Seeing Asteroids there, and Asteroids being, to me, the epitome of video game, and seeing that it's going to be on the VCS is like, there's no question. That's what we got to do. We have right. to get one of those. Exactly. How we're going to do it, I don't know. But yeah, because at the time, you know, one hundred and fifty dollars for for the um, machine was. I mean, that's almost five hundred dollars. Yeah, days that, there's no. I mean, that would that was a huge deal right. to get that machine I mean, for everybody. I'm flustered. I didn't mind the gap in your American untidy maths. Yes, it's maths as in mathematics, not math as in mathematic. Your American new math has stunted your basic arithmetic and Google skills. The Bureau, we would call it a ministry in the proper tongue. But anyway your Bureau of Labor Statistics indicates that $150 in December 1981 is equal to $401.57 in May 2018. About the cost of a nice configured Xbox or PlayStation and a good game. None of which I care about. That's roughly equal to one soul cycle class, one massage, one mani petty, and enough left over for lunch in downtown London. Yeah. Very distinctive sounds, but the one thing that bothered me right out of the gate was that the Astros only floated up up and down the screen. There is a ver- one of the later versions in the in the on the on the system. So one of the later variations on the cartridge does seem to have asteroids that float diagonally, but I'm not quite sure they do it. As much, you as mean much on as the cartridge? Say, on the cartridge. Really? Yeah. 8-Bit Jeff is completely wrong here. He was thinking about the Atari 800 version of Asteroids, not the 2600 version. And please, boys RTFM. There were 66 game variations on that Asteroids cartridge. I, I remember reading through it, trying to find the one that did that. And there are 64, 54 something variations on There's this cartridge. There's a lot of variations, yeah. And um, there are ones that actually float. and um, But none of them were as 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 floaty as the arcade as right. the arcade game. Um, but the 20th version was still great. I still remember playing that forever. It's still... Aside from the arcade version, it's still one of my favorite versions of it. It's great. I just sat down and played the other day. I'm like, wow, this is fun. And there's it's something really fun about it. And I know they play they have still have tournaments on that version. So it does still as well respected as a as a version of the game. And it plays a pretty good game too. Yeah. Yeah. We did and the next version of Asteroids to come out was not Asteroids. But it was Astro Smash for the Intellivision. Oh, Astro Smash. And that was basically um, Intellivision's combination of Space Invaders and Asteroids. Not having the um, the rights well, to They did one. have Space Armada. No, Armada basically was Space Invaders, I know. Right. But, but, but what I love about Astro Smash is that... Every asteroid you miss gives you negative points. Yes, they did. I, it. So I like I just for some reason I like that idea. But you did shoot the asteroids; they would break up. So you're like, ah, oh, this is actually asteroids falling. But Astro Smash is a great game. Yeah, and they say that the version for the 2600 was like a limited version. But I just played them both back to back. One on the Intellivision Lives uh, CD, one of the ones that we have. I put in my PlayStation, 
and PlayStation 2, and one of them on the, the 2600. And the 2600 holds up really well. The sounds aren't quite as good. There's a few things that aren't there, but really, for the basics of the game, it's there. Yeah, you know, I, I wonder, though, like, why other companies didn't make their version of Asteroids. And I think I think the answer is that, like, the law, the legal battles had not been fought at the time about looking feel. They were afraid of Atari. They were afraid that Atari was going to sue. Warner, with Atari, with Warner behind them was a 500-pound gorilla. Yeah. And that's that's the reason. I mean, one of the reasons. I'm sure there there was an Asteroids game that came out for the VIC-20 that wasn't made by Atari. And that there was a lot of games that came out for the VIC-20 when they first did it that all would have been, you know, Attack of the Jelly Monsters, which is a Pac-Man uh, game. You know, they I, all would have been sued. But I went to look at Atari. So I thought Atari Soft would have made asteroids they, for for all systems, but they did. They did not. Atari Soft made Pac-Man for other systems, but they but their own their own game they did not so make, which is very weird. To it's, me. I'm under the impression. So if anyone doesn't know, Atari Soft is the company that Atari created internally in, in like 1982 to make software for other platform other companies' platforms, and a lot of a lot of the games they made were the games they licensed from other people, like Pac-Man and Donkey, Donkey Kong, Kong for specifically. They. I I do you remember? Oh, wait, wait. Coleco made. Oh, they had no, for computers. No, no. Coleco made a computer version. So there was a computer version of Donkey Kong they made for the Commodore but, 64. No, but no, but 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 Atari had the rights to the computer, computer version, versions, whereas right, right. Coleco had the rights to the video game version. And Coleco got in trouble when they made the Atom, and they had a Super Donkey Kong tape that made it into a computer, and then right. they got in legal battles. The, it, Asteroids did not come out for their systems, and that was because it was a killer app. It was the second killer app on the VCS. The first being Space Invaders. Space Invaders. The second being Asteroids. I mean, it got us to buy it, right? I mean, it, I mean, I Space Invaders would have interested me. Missile Command would have piqued my interest, but Asteroids there was like, oh my god, I'm in, all my quarters now will go into this. And I don't think that. Missile Command came in either. I think that 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 the version that was done by. The guy who came to teach us some... Uh, Rob Fulop? Rob Fulop came to the end of a tell and taught us some stuff. We invited him in there, right? Um, Rob Fulop made a great Missile Command game, and that didn't go to any of the systems, but it made it to the 8-bit computers. Right. So let's talk quickly about the 8-bit computers did have a version of Asteroids, and it's a little weird. So this is the thing about the 8-bit computers. I'm not sure they chose the right colors for it. You are green and the asteroids are blue. Yeah, okay. But, so the colors are a little weird. It would have been better to choose different colors or to make them wireframe, wireframe of different colors, brighter colors. That's right, it's better. not wireframe there. It's still still like the filled in asteroids like on the VCS. Yes, it would be It would be great. Now, uh, it would be great to have um, just brighter colors in asteroids. They're trying to show the high-res color graphics of, of Graphics 7. But... It has a four-player mode. It's a four-player. That's that's both competitive and and four players at the same time. time. So that's why that's what makes the Atari eight-bit version so great is they were trying to exploit the four joystick ports on both the four hundred and eight hundred. Right. And so it may not have the greatest colors, but it's a great game. I mean, and I think in the early episode I said it was a disaster, and then we played it. Doubles and was, right. this is not a disaster. And we'll get to this in the next se- segment, but the seven eight hundred version actually kind of kind of seven eight hundred version to that. adds on to that. Um, the the other thing I want to talk about really quick is the fifty two hundred version or the lack of the one. lack of one. So the, I think they designed one fifty two hundred. It's it's it exists as a prototype, right? Right. Is is it a version of the eight bit? Yes, and then the colors seem to be the same at, at that point. But too. it was un, uncontrollable with the con, with the controllers. Yeah, I, I, I don't know the whole history. Well, maybe we'll look it up. But um, but it it didn't come out. It's on. Uh, I have it on a a prototype. 
on my cartridge of all the 5200 games in my um, my Mega 5200 cartridge SD card. But um, there's they had Meteorites, and Meteorites was actually a game for both both the 8-bit and for the 5200. It's a pretty decent Asteroids game with col- more colors than the Asteroids, more colors on the screen. So, I mean, I said that no one else made an Asteroids game, but actually that's not true. There are two other games that I remember that were like Asteroids. So one is Suicide Mission yes. for the Supercharger. So the Atar- the Supercharger from Arcadia or Starpath was was a device you would stick into your 2600 and then at an, an interface for a tape cassette audio interface and you could load games from tape into your Atari 2600 and it had some more memory and in general could play more sophisticated games than the 2600. Right. And one of those games was called Suicide Mission and originally I think it was called Meteorites. I think that's what the prototype is could called. Been, yeah. Well, there's a prototype. and and But you can notice that Suicide mission. There's no physics to your ship floating. You're that the idea is that you're inside blood vessels and you're shooting. And what's really cool is the way that the asteroids, which are more like cells, are like kind yeah, of more. They're like single celled amoebas. Yeah. It's really cool. The collision detection is wonky, but um, but it is like different. But it's weird because you're because there's no since the ship doesn't float. It's a sort of a different game. And they tried for wireframes, so but it's like dotted wireframe. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. It's fun to play, but it's not as it's not as captivating as you would want. You it to can be. tell that they have what's called a and I think a lot of Atari Recess games do this, what's called a single line kernel, which allows you them to write out in the in the I think sixty-eight color clocks is what it's called per per line. It allows you to write out use as much information as you can possibly squeeze oh. onto the screen using the various the ball sprites and the and the players. And so um to make suicide mission you would need a very sophisticated kernel because of the way they made the sprites. Right. But they didn't want to mimic asteroids too much because Atari would have sued them. So, but that brings us to the final version, or the final thing I want to talk about from the classic era of Asteroids, um, and that is the Vectrex. Vectrex. So, the Vectrex, we we saw Mindstorm being played on a Vectrex at a Target, and it was so amazing, and since we, we were, our mind was still on Asteroids, asteroids. we sold most of our Atari 2600 equipment just so we could get a Vectrex, just so we could play Mindstorm. Did we sell the... the did, I want to, did we sell the Supercharger to get the Vectrex? I, I, I shudder to think what happened. What we sold what to get, we get, sold to get I mean, the, the Vectrex. Vectrex is awesome. And you have a working I one. I still now. own it. I still own the Vectrex. I still own all the stuff. I have a working Vectrex. I have the, the multi-card. I have all the games that we had originally in boxes. And it was cool. But And Mindstorm was a fun game. But it also didn't have the physics of Asteroids, really. Yeah, there was... Um, I love the Vectrex, but there was a lack of... There's something thin, and of course, not just the screen and what it looks like, but there's a thinness to the gameplay that's even thinner than some 2600 cartridges. You mean on Mindstorm? Yeah. There's a there's a richness that's not there, and it's because the there are no floaty physics, but also even some of the other games, you play the Vectrex games, and I love them. Love Scramble on there. Right. But there's just a... It's it's basically 2,600 games with better graph, gra- with well, a little bit better... Very, very... Th- there's almost no depth to the games that are on the Vectrex. That's and that's cool. what was so di- disappointing. It was disappointing. Like, we got it thinking it'd be great, and it was great, but it was basically 2,600 games put on a Vector screen. Right. Like, even Ar- Armor Attack, I love that game, but really, it ends up... You, you do the same thing the whole time. Three tanks come out in a helicopter, and you're like, this is great, and but... Helicopter looks awesome. It's awesome, but that's as far as it goes. The, the challenge doesn't get in there's no advancement the challenge challenge is harder and harder but the game doesn't change that much so what ended up being was was we had our vectrex and it was sort of a hollow replacement 
for, for the 2600. But soon after, we got 800 anyway. Yeah, I think the next Christmas we got that yeah, 800. So it wasn't that big a deal. But that so so to me like that's the foundation of asteroids. Asteroids is the foundation of my like video game sort of obsession. And I think we should do a couple other things and come back later and talk about what came after what asteroids. Came after What's the legacy of asteroids? Sounds great. Cool. Dear Atari Anonymous, ever since my husband Luno returned from Earth with asteroids, the new Atari home video game, he and the rest of the family do nothing but play asteroids. Luno says asteroids is good practice for his interplanetary life. Tell me, dear Atari Anonymous, with everybody hooked on asteroids, what on Earth is a poor Martian mother to do? New Atari Asteroids, now available for your home. Escape to the Asteroid Zone. Part 1. The Trek. It was the summer of 1981, and I was obsessed with Atari. The actual mechanism for this obsession was not clear to me at the time. I just knew I loved video games, and the name Atari was synonymous with them. My brother and I had just finished fifth grade, and the dreaded junior high school was looming before us. The stories of sixth graders being trash-canned and given whirlies echoed through our heads. We did not have access to any Atari games at home, and the closest arcades were miles away. However, we did have one outlet for our video game madness the grocery store shopping center located roughly one mile from our house. It was positioned at the edge of the city, just off the other side of the track's dividing line of our hometown, Manhattan Beach, Sepulveda Boulevard. We lived on the wrong side of those tracks. Since this was still the early 80s, our parents felt sufficiently comfortable letting us roam the neighborhood without supervision. As long as we made it home on time, all would be okay. Plus, my parents were preoccupied in those days, so it was pretty easy to slip out and do our own thing unnoticed. We were inspired by the long walks we took with our mom when we were little and had no working car. Since Jeff and I also did not have bikes that could reasonably take us anywhere further than our own driveway, we made the trek from our house to our little video game mecca on foot. The trek started at our house on 1st Street. We'd start walking up our hill towards Peck Avenue passing over acorn-infested semi-sidewalks under the eucalyptus awning created by the forest of trees that line the south side of the street. As we walked, we never failed to marvel at the rich family mansion that took up almost half the block. We rarely saw the people who owned that property, but the pools, tennis courts, European cars, and giant house belied a level of wealth and sophistication that we could hardly understand. It was a true estate that took up the space of four huge houses. The fact that it was located right next door to two dozen 50s-era suburban cracker boxes made it even more impressive. I always imagined what it was like to live like a rich person in a house that took up four lots of a suburban block. What do they have inside? I tried to peek through the trees when we walked by, but the place was always locked up tight with few signs of life. 
At the top of the hill, we crossed the street over to Penny Camp, our elementary school. At the East Playground entrance, we had to make a choice as to which way to go. Across the playground was the quickest route, but it also had its perils. We were never sure who might be on the playground. And since it was at least 300 yards in length of blacktop and grass, we might be left in the open with no real option for escape if a problem might arise. Usually, those problems came from one source and one source only. Curtis. He lived at the end of our block and was the bane of my existence. Curtis lived with his grandmother, and his lack of parental supervision was displayed in everything he did. My first introduction to Curtis was on my fifth birthday, when he came into our front yard and, for reasons known only to Curtis, threw a bicycle tire at my head, splitting open my right ear. Curtis tried to run down kids on his bike if they dared cross his path on the playground, pushed kids down in the street to prove his dominance, and stole anything he could get his hands on. He was a complete cliché of a bully and would have been a joke if he wasn't such a real threat. If Curtis was around, going across the playground was not a good choice at all. However, finding him in the halls of the school was not a great option either. The best way to avoid confrontation with Curtis was to take the back route behind the school. There was an old cement path just south of the Penny Camp School Library that led past the community garden, then up over a steep hill. About a hundred feet up that hill, the cracked asphalt path ended at a chained and locked fence. However, the lock and fence were so old and had been climbed through so many times that any ten-year-old could easily slip through the gap and be on their way. Once through the fence, we walked into an actual wilderness, up past an overgrown volleyball court and then through what looked like an abandoned cornfield before the path dipped down again into a steep incline. It ended at an ice plant hill that spilled out behind the school cafetorium. From there, it was a short walk through the school parking lot to the street and relative safety on the other side. Since Curtis mainly confined his menace to the school grounds, we took a bit of cautious comfort as we turned south towards the high school. Next, we walked down a long hill towards an overgrown vacant lot that was known in the neighborhood as Pollywog because of the small swamp created from neighborhood runoff water. When we got to the entrance to Pollywog, we had to make another quick decision. The path through Pollywog cut off 10 minutes of our walking time, but also held the possibility of trouble. Sometimes the pond overflowed, the rickety bridges were vandalized, homeless people were hiding out, or stoners were smoking in the bushes. I never encountered Curtis there, but that was another distinct possibility. The other direction was a few blocks through suburban neighborhood, safe, but many blocks out of our way. Most days, we took our chances walking through Pollywog. Yes, it was the more dangerous choice, but there was an alternate reason for making the trek as long as possible through less traveled areas. Finding returnable bottles. We always kept our eyes peeled for 7-Up, Bubble Up, or any other returnable bottles we could find. A couple bottles would equal enough money for one more play of a video game than the original contents of our pockets would allow. The dirt path through Pollywog winded through some bushes, then took a turn towards the swamp. At that point, the first major Pollywog obstacles laid in wait for us. The runoff stream from the street created a five-foot, sludgy gap in the path. 
If the makeshift wood bridge was in place, crossing was easy. But if not, and it usually was not, a leap of faith was required. The area surrounding the gap was covered with fallen and dirty eucalyptus trees. It was not easy to tell where the leaves ended and the water began. Even more distressing was the bed of mud that the leaves rested upon. A badly timed jump meant both our van shoes and our striped white tube socks would be covered in toxic sludge from the sewer runoff. A successful leap led back onto the dirt path that wound around the corner and into the exercise yard, a sand pit and old basketball hoop of the local secondary school, Pacific Shores. Shores, as it was known, was a place where all the screw-ups ended up if they could not hack regular high school. And I say that in the nicest possible way. It was part of the regular school system and designed as a safety net for kids with problems. It had very relaxed rules about smoking, bell schedules, etc. It was a great asset to the community, but to a kid, it was scary as all hell. We did not want to run into any shore students on the trek. Who knew what the hell they were capable of? At the end of the plywog path, we had to climb a 30-foot, 45-degree angle dirt hill that deposited us on the pole vault training run of the Maricosta High School track. From there, we walked across the abandoned volleyball courts just to the south of another large community garden. This was another stoner hangout. We had to be extra careful as we trudged across to the relative safety of the baseball practice field. We'd hike across that field to the old forgotten basketball courts, then down a cement path to the baseball stadium. The baseball field was another place to be extra careful. The dugouts were notorious makeout spots, and the teenagers that inhabited them were not very happy to see 11-year-old kids disturbing their activities. However, the path through the bleachers and by the dugouts was a great spot to look for more returnable bottles, so we took the chance anyway. From there, we walked to the Little League field and took note of the joker who spray-painted Adam and the Ants on every conceivable flat surface. Why no one ever cleaned it up was beyond me. After exiting the baseball field onto the street on the other side of the school, we crossed through the Lutheran church grounds and then crossed another street to the alley behind McDonald's. We walked up through the alley, passed behind McDonald's, and into the strip mall just beyond. At this point, we breathed a sigh of relief. For all intents and purposes, we had arrived at our destination. If we had found any returnable bottles, we sold them back to the guys at Manhattan Liquors for a tidy little profit, always requesting quarters instead of dimes and nickels if we had collected enough along the way. Upon exiting the store, we took note of the Defender machine in the front. Defender was a hardcore game. It was well known at the time that a game like Defender was geared towards older kids who could manipulate the myriad of buttons on the control panel. Even if we wanted to play, Defender was notoriously monopolized by a couple of heavy metal dudes who insisted on filling the high score list with initials that spelled out Iron Maiden down the screen. Do you know what an Iron Maiden is? One of them asked me in a threatening tone one time as I stood behind them and watched them play. Uh, no, I squeaked out. Of course you don't, geek. Don't even think about messing up the high score table. We'll kick your ass. Point taken. It was not just us. They threatened anyone else who played not to mess up their work. We avoided Defender for this reason and continued west through the strip mall, past the Guild drugstore, which would one day hold another game that utterly fascinated me, Wizard of War, and crossed the parking lot to our final destination, Safeway Supermarket, and the asteroids machine contained within. 
Just to the right, as we entered through the automatic door of the Safeway supermarket, stood the jet black arcade machine with a red, blue, white, and yellow depiction of a space battle emblazoned on the side, and a front-facing, backlit marquee that read, Asteroids, in large letters, with the word Atari in tiny type below. If there was another kid playing the game at the time, a quick check of the marquee to see if there are any quarters in waiting stuffed behind the metal border of the glass backing gave some idea of just how long we might be watching and not playing. After waiting our turn, Jeff would slip the first quarter into the machine as I fished out mine for a two-player game. The red two-player button started flashing. One of us pressed it, and we were off. Part 2. A House Divided. After many years of what felt like, at least, childhood bliss, our little happy family hit an implosion point. It seemed like the events all came in a row, even though they were spread over several years. Their combined effect was inescapable. I think it all started in the autumn of 1978, when I woke up one morning hearing my mom crying on the phone. She was talking to her brother, my Uncle Richard. When she finally put the receiver down... She could hardly keep it together long enough to tell us what happened. My Aunt Pat and Cousin Greg were killed by a drunk driver in Santa Clara. One of my other cousins, Joe, had his legs crushed by the family Volkswagen van. My Uncle Richard, his wife Pat, and their nine kids were the only cousins I'd ever known. Our families were very close, and we spent a couple of vacations together and visited each other very often, even though we lived hundreds of miles apart. It all changed that morning. My mom, in particular, was inconsolable. The accident was an instant and huge crack inserted into the solid foundation of my childhood. Even though my mom had four kids of her own, her nine nieces and nephews were never forgotten. Some of them were well into their 30s at the time, but my mom still sealed an envelope with a card and a $5 bill and mailed it off in time to reach them by their birth date. Each birthday was dutifully marked on a disposable calendar that was attached with a pushpin to the wall behind her spot at the kitchen table. The car accident formed a tsunami of grief that swept over both families that even to this day has never lifted. For my mom, it stayed until the day she died. She was so dedicated to recognizing birthdays that even 40 years later, as I removed the final items from her kitchen after her death, I noticed that the birthdays for Pat and Greg were still recorded on the Dollar Tree cat calendar I bought her the previous Christmas. What I remember from this time in the 70s was the crying of my mom. At times, when it was just myself, my brother, and her in the house, she would cry uncontrollably. It would last for hours. They were deep, sorrowful sobs that belied a truth much deeper than the death of her nephew and her sister-in-law. Her parents' divorce, the death of her mom, the shattered expectations of her youthful dreams to become an actress, and her station in life as a housewife to what was amounting to a suburban insane asylum, all seemed to tear her down. As a little boy, I couldn't stand to see my mom cry. What boy would? I just had no idea what to do about it. My mom was deep into her grief, maybe even obsessed by it. The next year, in 1979, my dad's father died of lung cancer. My dad had a very distant and adversarial relationship with his father, a semi-famous magazine illustrator. The death came suddenly, and it gave my father little time to make up lost ground 
to try to repair their broken ties. This sent my father into a tailspin of sorts, and he buried himself into his work and distanced himself from his family. He worked late and on weekends to get overtime pay, but instead of using that money to help his family, he spent it on his new hobbies like motocross racing and metal detecting. My dad broke his collarbone in a motorcycle race in 1980, and this saw him go even deeper into his own world. At the age of 54, he could no longer put on his motocross outfit and pretend to be the kid he never was. Thus, a new obsession began. The sign started that previous Halloween. My dad said he wanted a Civil War hat. I was excited because I had seen one at the Guild Drug in the stacks of Halloween costumes. I knew what a Civil War hat looked like after pouring through the American Heritage Golden Book of the Civil War so many times, I knew each battle painting by heart. My dad went straight up to the Guild Drug and bought the hat, but afterwards he was sorely disappointed. The hat looked nothing like what he wanted. He wanted the kepi he saw in a store from his youth, the genuine one in the store window for $5 that he passed up and kicked himself about ever since. The one he bought that Halloween in 1980 was cheap, phony, foo-foo crap. I'm not sure what he expected for $10 at the Guild Drug. The event set a weird tone in our house. My dad, at 54 years old, had finally reached the age where nostalgia was no longer a cute memory of old times, but instead an ever-pressing need to recapture the past before it was too late. My brother and I soon found ourselves dragged along to gun shows, where my dad could try to purchase military artifacts from dealers that came across the USA. As soon as he purchased his first genuine Indian war kepi, he was a goner. Motorcycle racing was mostly a thing of the past, and a new obsession started. But this one was different. No longer was he showing up his dad by racing motorcycles. Now he was searching for the past, a quest that could never fully be resolved. At first, these were simply distractions. But as the years dragged on, they became all-consuming. As he got deeper and deeper into his projects, the infrastructure of our house crumbled. Windows, lights, doors, floors, ceilings, electricity, and pipes all wore out and were first bandaged and then abandoned instead of being fixed. At just about the same time, my older sisters were getting into the burgeoning local punk rock scene. Their reasons for rebellion, obscured then, are obvious to me now. They were stuck between our distracted and obsessed parents and a lower middle class lifestyle that made our family stand out embarrassingly in our ever gentrifying neighborhood. My sisters began staying out late on school nights, traveling to Hollywood to see their friends play the clubs and hang out in the scene. Identifying as punk became their own obsession. As punks, they could stand out, but also fit in with a certain class of people. I admired them for it. At the same time, though, they defied any and all rules our parents set down about their behavior. In 1980, our house became a loud and uncomfortable place to be, where nobody heard anyone, nobody listened, and everyone increased their volume, hoping that others would understand them. My mom, in particular, would argue with my sisters, and they were only obliged to argue back. It was about this time that the police began showing up. The visits didn't always coincide with an episode. They could be an hour or even days later. The knock would come at the front door, which we hardly ever used. One or two men in blue, looking pensive, sporting stereotypical mustaches. They'd say there was a noise complaint or ask if everything was okay. It always was, according to my mom. The battles were psychological. My mom would assure them that all was fine and promise to help keep the noise down. Unfortunately, it was not really under her control. I started to fear knocks at the front door and the sight of the police even more. But out of all this, something weird and magical happened. 
With our family no longer on solid ground, a new idol rose and became my fascination. The fascination had been brewing for many years, but in the summer of 1981, it became a full-blown obsession. The name of that obsession was Atari. It's clear now why this happened. My mom was obsessed with her grief, my dad obsessed with recapturing a childhood he never had, and my sisters obsessed with punk rock. My brother and I needed to follow suit. Since we'd been trained by Star Wars that people, not technology, were the enemy, and we were proto-nerds who liked to make our own games in the garage, we were drawn to the idea of a futuristic-sounding company like Atari, a company that shipped amazing video game amusements to our local storefronts on a regular basis. I found myself looking for the Atari name everywhere. Whenever I saw an arcade video game, I looked at the top of the marquee, hoping to see an Atari logo. If I did, I knew it would be a good game and worth my quarter. I'd look for the Atari VCS at stores like Montgomery Ward, Sears, and Target, hoping to get a glimpse of the logo or steal away a game on a test machine. This is how I coped with reality. I put my faith into something bigger, and that thing was Atari. As Atari became my obsession, it became my twin brother's obsession too, and the quickest and most successful manifestation of this obsession was the Asteroids machine at the front of the Safeway at the corner of Prospect and Sepulveda. It was an escape into another reality. Part 3. The Zone My brother and I stood next to each other, looking at the machine. Jeff took the controls first, and I waited just off to the side. I silently cheered him on. There was little competition between us when it came to video games. The asteroid game began with the menacing backing music. A simple da, 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 da was too similar to the theme from Jaws to be just an accident. Its tempo was slow but foreboding. It warned of danger to come, first in the form of asteroids, but later as faceless UFOs with one mission to totally wipe you out. Space rocks emerged from the sides of the screen, as the gods of this inescapable black hole gave some serious thought as to when to let your ship appear, as to not have you die an instant death. The appearance of your ship was sudden. If you were not born out of the womb, of the space warp rapidly tapping the fire button immediately, you had little chance to survive. Jeff was always the better player than I, and he started nearly every game the same way. He watched as the rocks moved slowly across the screen. He timed the shots of his little space wedge perfectly so that the asteroids would explode just after passing his ship. When he used the thrust button, it was careful and deliberate. He'd apply a bit of thrust, then turn to the side to blast some rocks, apply a bit more, and turn again. When the last rock on the screen was blown into little vector bits, the sly smile on my brother's face hinted at satisfaction. For him, clearing a screen of space rocks was immensely rewarding. It was the kind of mastery over our own world we both were so hungry for that summer of 1981. However, shooting all the asteroids was not a direct pathway to success. Usually on the second or third wave, my brother cleared the screen down to just a few rocks, but instead of finishing, he waited for the UFOs to appear. 
the lumbering large UFOs were very easy to pick off. A few well-timed shots would take them out, netting hundreds of points and a good boost towards an extra ship at 10,000. Tougher were the small UFOs. They arrived with the whine that came from their engines that punctuated the bleeping space battle. The bounty on their lethal heads was a staggering 1,000 points. However, without a good strategy, their quick movements and killer marksmanship skills were hard to avoid. Most times, no matter how hard Jeff tried, he inevitably hit a rock or was blasted into space debris. My playing style was much simpler than Jeff's. Don't move. Turn, fire, turn, fire, turn, fire, turn. Movement meant the semi-realistic physics of 2D space would take over, making control almost impossible for me. However, movement was a much better choice than the button of last resort, hyperspace. Hyperspace, supposedly an option to help with survival, was, in reality, a button born of pure, concentrated evil. After pressing the button, you were sent to a random place in the black starless void of asteroids. With a good chance, your ship would simply blow up on re-entry. When most of the rocks were destroyed, I would venture out a bit, applying thrust, but attempting to keep control of my ship. However, many times I lost control, smashing into an asteroid and losing my turn. What Jeff and I longed to achieve was entry into the asteroid zone a place we had only seen in the eyes of master asteroids players, but rarely visited ourselves. In that zone, players would rack up huge scores by flying up the screen at a rapid pace, blasting small UFOs for a thousand points each, earning droves of extra ships, and then turning the game over at a hundred thousand points multiple times. The guys who were able to achieve this were inevitably much older than us. So much older, it seemed, that we would never be able to make it on our own. However, after many trips to Safeway and many quarters placed in anticipation up on the asteroid's marquee, we slowly gained the ability to play at a fair, if not respectable, level. The few times either of us did get into any type of asteroid zone, it was a wonder to behold. With one lonely rock moving, hopefully, vertically through space, and the ship traveling at blinding speed up the screen, leaving a satisfying phosphorescent glow in its wake. We hunted for any saucers that might make the mistake of entering our small closed-off space. As the anticipation mounted, the soundtrack pounded in the background. Periodically, slight adjustments to the horizontal position of the ship were made as to avoid a disastrous collision with the last space rock on the screen. All of a sudden, the pulsating soundtrack would be broken by the high-pitched squeal of a UFO that had entered the perimeter. Slowly moving the ship left to right, you fired a few test shots before attempting the UFO kill shot, hitting thrust, releasing, then turning the ship left to right depending on the location of the UFO and spitting out a few shots in its direction. If the UFO was close to one side or the other, shooting shots that wrapped around to the other side of the screen was a most effective strategy, but this was rarely the case. After firing, you had to adjust the speed and horizontal position of your ship ever so slightly, lest the UFO could lock into your location and blast you from space. The exhilaration of hitting a small UFO and blasting it into component bits of light while still keeping control of your little ship to continue the fight was a feeling that, to this day, is still difficult to describe if you have not done it yourself. Of course, it was short-lived. When a UFO suddenly shot the ship out from under your control, it was like hitting a brick wall driving 100 miles an hour. Your tiny little ship would stop in place, all physics removed from the equation. There, in the blackness of space, 
would break into a few small pieces, then fade from existence. The sudden loss of adrenaline was indescribably shocking. Destroying your last little rock was only a slightly better experience. After ship hunting for such a long time, it was a very difficult transition to go back to merely shooting a screen full of large, lumbering asteroids. Breaking out of the zone was a very quick way to end the game. No matter how many ships left near Arsenal, getting back into the zone twice in one game, at least for me, was a very rare occurrence. Being in the zone was a feeling of pure transcendence. The real world meant nothing in those moments. All the crying, the hopelessness, rebellion, yelling, fights, and visits from the cops did not exist there. It was a purely fictional game world, a one-screen void that was invaded by an ever-increasing onslaught of space debris that needed to be wiped out in order to preserve our very survival. Yet, it was one that I fully embraced because I could, at least for a few fleeting moments, be successful there. It was an experience dreamed up by a guy named Lyle Rains and programmed by a guy named Ed Logg for a MOS 6502 processor and displayed on a patented Atari XY vector monitor. It was a feeling that only now, 37 years later, I can describe truly as entering the vertical blank, a place between the lines where nuance and nostalgia transcend reality itself and let me truly escape. When Jeff and I got down to our last couple quarters, we knew that this part of the trek was over. Sometimes we shared a final game, with one of us playing the first ship, the next guy the second, and the person who fared the best getting the last. After that, we'd take whatever chains we had left over, buy a couple eight-cent store-brand sodas at Safeway and a handful of two-cent candy from the jars of the Guild Drug. We'd then pack our supplies and start the long trek home. As we walked back, our conversations would boil over with our exploits of playing asteroids. But after a while, we'd drift to baseball, girls at school, or the games we were going to play in the driveway when we got back home. We'd talk about Star Wars and what we wanted for Christmas, and if there was a chance for an Atari 2600 in our future. The trip home was always shorter and more direct. We cut through the high school or the church, but the pace was quicker, even if our final destination was not as interesting as the one we had left. We needed to get home before the streetlights came on, as was the deal with our parents. A spit and handshake agreement that nearly all kids at the time made in some way, but was even more important for us, as we desired to add nothing more to our mom's existing burdens. She need not add us to her list of worries. As we approached home, the asteroids machine at the Safeway Shopping Center faded into distant memory. What seemed so important just an hour or so before was almost inconsequential as the realities of home became clearer and clearer. Curtis could be around any quarter. A pitched yelling match could be taking place inside our house, or something even more terrible could have happened while we were away. After a few days, Jeff and I started talking about asteroids again, and within a week or two, we would have enough money saved to make the trek to the Safeway Shopping Center once again. With any luck, we'd soon be in the asteroid zone once more, and at least for a few drifting moments, nothing else in the world would matter.
right, Vertical Blankers, that's a wrap for Season 1, Episode 4, Escape to the Asteroid Zone, Part 1. In the next episode, Part 2, we will delve deeper into the game and later arcade versions of Asteroids. We'll have even more of our own stories represented, and also, for the first time on this particular podcast, we'll feature a couple wonderful stories by some great contributors. As always, you can contact us with questions, comments, or errata at 8bitrocket.collectibles at gmail.com. That's the number 8, B-I-T-R-O-C-K-E-T dot collectibles, C-O-L-L-E-C-T-I-B-L-E-S at gmail.com. You can also send it as a direct message to our Twitter account at Atari underscore VB underscore pod. You can contact 8-Bit Steve at FultonBot on Twitter and 8-Bit Jeff at 8-Bit Rocket on Twitter. Thanks and see you next time when we venture back in the Vertical Blank. Next frame calculated, prepare to write new data, V blank ending.